Jean, thanks so much. <clears throat> Do you know, have you ever thought how on a Sunday morning we talk a lot about God, we pray to God, we sing songs to God, and then the rest of the week we might not talk about God that very much. If we were in the workplace or in a family which doesn't share our faith, for example, um, how much will we actually um, really mention God? The name of Jesus might get mentioned as a swear word, but that's about it. So what do, what do we do? How do we live the rest of the week? Because we're only, only here for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. In the Bible, there's a book which we're going to just briefly look at this morning. It's called Esther. And in the book of Esther, the most remarkable thing about it is that God isn't mentioned once. You might think, what's it doing in the Bible then? If Esther doesn't mention God, there's no mention of prayer, why is it in the Bible? And people have thought that. And in fact, they updated the book of Esther to include some prayers and stuff. But that wasn't the original version. In the Bible that you have access to, we have the original version of the book of Esther. No mention of God. The Jews in the book of Esther were in exile. They weren't in their homeland. They were dispersed and they're living in a kingdom of Persia. <clears throat> We've been told that this country really isn't a Christian country anymore. Would you recognize some truth in that? When I was 19, I was privileged to go to Guyana in the Caribbean and uh, I was helping out in a children's center there and I noticed couldn't help noticing that people just talked about God a lot more. And not just when they went to church or wherever. In fact, there's different, different religions there. But out on the street, young people, what were they doing? They'd be talking about God. A few years later, I met a man from uh, Uganda. His name was Francis. And Francis was excited to come to the UK because he thought, well, this is where our faith had come from. Missionaries had come. And then he came to the UK and thought, what? <laughs> Where's the faith gone? People don't talk about God. It's not what I expected, he thought. He was disappointed. <laughs> How do we live in such a time as this? How do we live in such a place where it might not be openly hostile, as Jean prayed for the persecuted church, but it's not particularly friendly to faith. How do we continue to be the same person here at church on a Sunday morning and also whether it be at work or among friends or, or whatever? Well, I think reflecting a little bit on the book of Esther can help because although God isn't mentioned, he is implied. Although prayer isn't mentioned, it is implied. And just sometimes... You know what? You don't need to mention God. Now I'm cautious saying that. Because most of us think, phew, I never need to talk about God. <laughs> <laughs> I 
There are, of course, times when it's important to, to speak up about our faith. We're doing an evangelism course at the moment called the Dazzle Course, where we, we, we talk about, think about well, when might it be appropriate to share my faith and, and, and how might God be leading me to do that. And, and the idea is that it's to do it in a natural way that's true to who we are and the gifts that God has given us. And, and we don't try and force anything, but just say, Lord, would you lead me? Of course there's a time to share our faith. And there's a lot more people who are open way more open than we realize. And yet, when you're going about your everyday life and you're maybe doing your work uh, or whatever it is that we do do, our faith is implied. If people know you're a Christian, trust me, they're watching you. (laughs) They're seeing how you react, how you behave, how you respond. And your life is more of a testimony than you realize. I haven't asked permission to share this, but but I'll, I'll, I, 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 it's always good to just ask permission later. <laughs> Seek forgiveness. <clears throat> uh, no. Uh, so my ta- my wife Tanya is a, a solicitor, and uh, she was working in a firm in Hertfordshire. And uh, back in the day, um, she would dictate statements from clients, and then the secretaries would type them up. And I remember it was quite funny one time because. The statement from the client had a lot of swearing in it. And uh, the secretaries were listening to Tanya's voice swearing. And in fact, they would slow it down so they could listen. And they were repeating it because they said, listen to this, this is Tanya swearing. But the reason they found that funny was because Tanya normally didn't swear. She was just quoting her client. They all thought it was hilarious. They noticed Tanya was not a big swearer. (laughs) And they noticed that it was unusual for her to use those words. People notice things. They watch how we live. Our faith is implied. And our testimonies do speak very, very loudly. So in the book of Esther, it's very, very much not a place of faith. It's a pagan culture in this ancient land of Persia. A land where the king was absolutely top dog. The king, King Xerxes. And in chapter 1, we read this uh, historically very faithful description of what life would have been like in the royal courts in Persia. And the king lived in the lap of luxury. It's just crazy OTT. He spends months showing people all of his glory, all of his splendor, all of his possessions. And then to cap it all, he has then like days and days of banqueting. And and, and they're eating the finest food and drinking the best wine. And just when he's had quite a bit to drink and he's feeling really, you know, this is fantastic, he decides he's going to bring out his trophy wife. You know what? She's a great beauty. Queen Vashti, she was called. And he sends for Queen Vashti. And uh, she refuses to come. Here's the king. You did not disobey the king. His word was law. Could he control his wife? (laughs) No. And Queen Vashti said, no. What do you mean? Uh, uh, She said no to me. Well, 
This caused pandemonium in the royal court. This is an utter disgrace. King Xerxes called together all his advisors. We have a, a national crisis on our hands. If people find out that the queen disobeyed the king, women everywhere will be disobeying their husbands. And there will be no end, I quote, of disrespect and discord. <laughs> it is terrible. And so the king put out this edict throughout his vast realm. It is meant to be funny. Uh, and so that all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. This called for drastic measures. And they were all very pleased with this. The king did all of this. They dispatched this message to all of his kingdom. And his fury, we're told, subsided. I mean, he was furious. It is funny. He, he had it all, but couldn't control queen, his queen. So, she needed a replacement. So he says, right, let's do a search. Let's get all the most beautiful young virgins to come into a harem. And all, all the men who looked after them were eunuchs. And, and these women need to go undergo months of beauty treatment. <laughs> months of beauty treatment in order to be able to come anywhere near the king's presence. I don't know what you feel about this. It's in Esther chapter 2. And all these women were brought there and they were all given special food and all the rest of it, given all these treatments for months on end. And one of the women who was chosen was someone called Esther. Now Esther actually was an orphan. She'd been taken on by her relative Mordecai. And he brought her up as his own. Very beautiful woman, called to join the harem. And it did not take long for Esther to win everybody's favor. You know, there was something about her. Was it all physical or was it something of her character shining through? I wonder. She was head and shoulders, if you like, above the rest. And sure enough, after all the preparation had been done and the makeup and all the rest of it, she is brought into the king and he's, oh, I love Esther. Now what happened is, if a woman was brought to the king, he'd, she'd only ever go back to him if he called her by name. And so most of them was like, no, I don't want to see you again. Esther, yes, please. You're my favorite. She won the favor of everybody and most of all of the king. And she becomes the queen. She goes from being an anonymous nobody to being queen. Now Esther though is Jewish. But Mordecai says don't tell anybody. <clears throat> Shortly after this, there's a man called Haman. He gets promoted to second in command in the kingdom. And he is one of those archetypal, greasy pole climbers, super ambitious, happy to tread on anyone to get where he wants to get. And he reaches the top, second only to the king. Very, very pleased with himself. Massive ego, narcissistic, not like any of our political leaders today. <clears throat> <laughs> and 
And <clears throat> he just wants everyone to bow down to him. I'm the wonderful Haman. Wherever he goes, everybody has to bow down to him. But the one person who refuses to do that is Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is not allowed in the royal court, but he hangs out at the gate. He wants to know that Esther is okay, and he's an important person. But, see, Mordecai's a Jew, and he says, I'm not going to bow down to this ridiculous man, Haman. And Haman is furious. Just like the king who couldn't control his wife, he can't control this idiot, Mordecai. And he's so, so angry. He should be happy. He's got it all. There's just one thing that bugs him. There's one person who irritates him. He will not kneel down. He will not pay me honour. And we're told he was enraged. And he thinks, how can I get my own back? And so he decides to, to put together a plot to not just get rid of Mordecai, but to get rid of the entire Jewish population. He wants to kill and annihilate all of them, young, old, women and children, on a single day. He hates Mordecai, and he decides that he hates the Jews. Now, Jean said rightly, how do we pray for the situation in the Middle East? We pray for peace, we pray for lament, and we don't take sides. But I do just want to say that throughout history, and this is a very, very early example, people have hated the Jews. Last summer, we were privileged to go on holiday to Italy, and we're in Venice. And, and kind of, the, I thought the most interesting bit of Venice was the Jewish ghetto. And it was a small sort of courtyard area, and... and uh, Basically, in the Middle Ages, the Jews all had to live in the ghetto. And at night, what would happen? They'd be locked up in the ghetto. They couldn't go out. They were all locked up in there. And if you go to that place, you see that the houses were all built really high on top of each other. Why? Because they weren't allowed to live anywhere else. It's just important to recognize that this was done by Christians. It's not just the Holocaust last, year, last century. It's all throughout history. I recently read a book by the comedian David Baddiel. And it's not a very comic title. It says, Jews don't count. He's making the point that we often think, oh, well, it's just Jewish people. It doesn't matter. You know, and, and, and people get away with being racist. Well, anti-Semitism has been uh, part of life for, for, for many, many years. And here in the book of Esther, this man, Haman, wants to kill all the Jews. And so this plot is shared and the word gets out. And we're going to hear a little bit from the book of Esther from Sally, chapter 4. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on, instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. 
Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless... The king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time... Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Marvellous. Thanks, Sally. So... Um, you know, sometimes it's dangerous to read the Bible and read into it what we want to read into it. Uh, but we can kind of hear, read how Mordecai re- sort of um, fasted and put on sackcloth and ashes, went about weeping and wailing. It is implied that he was praying. <laughs> he's a Jew. He's praying. And when all the people join with him with fasting, weeping and wailing, many lying in sackcloth and ashes, we're not told that they're praying, but it's implied. They're absolutely in lament. You know, sometimes the only response in prayer is one of lament. If you read the Psalms, we always like to read the positive ones. But there's quite a few, quite a number that are Psalms of lament. And sometimes in a time of national crisis, for example, lament is the right response. Sometimes when we're really, really struggling, we can draw heart from the fact that people have gone through similar things as us. And we can join in with those prayers. When life isn't 
as it should be. Well, that's what it's like for the people there. Now, Esther is one step removed because she's in the, the palace. And you know, sometimes uh, those in high and lofty positions are uh, <clears throat> somewhat removed from everyone. I, I remember Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, saying, we're all in this together. <laughs> are we? Queen Esther, was she in it together with all the people? She was one step removed. She was now the queen. She won a beauty contest. Life was good. But she couldn't help but hear about the weeping and the wailing. So she sends word. And Mordecai uh, sends word back explaining what Haman has decreed. And the king, because he doesn't seem like the sharpest kind of guy, has just said to Haman, yeah, just do whatever you want. So he instructs her. Now, all through her childhood, Esther would have obeyed Mordecai and done what he told her to do. And he instructs her now to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy, plead with him. But Esther says, it's not as simple as all that. Have you ever thought, why don't we just do this? Why don't the leaders just do this? And then you're in that position of leadership and you think, yeah, it's not quite as straightforward as people think it might be. And she says, it's not as easy as that. I can't just walk into the king's presence. In the Old Testament, they they couldn't just walk into God's presence. And this was a human king. Can't just walk into his presence and say, hey, whatever. You risk death if you go without a true, without invitation. And then he says these words. He says, don't think that you're going to escape. Now, there's a trust implied from Mordecai. He says, if you don't do this, then God will provide another way. Relief and deliverance will arise from somewhere else, but you will perish. God would mention that word, perish. You will perish. But who knows but that you've come to this role position for such a time as this. There are people who find themselves in important positions in times of crisis, and guess what we've got to do? We've got to pray for them. <laughs> because maybe God's put them there for such a time as this. None of us, I imagine, are going to find us, ourselves, I shouldn't, shouldn't say none of us, but you never know. But <clears throat> we're not generally going to find ourselves in a position where it's our job to save the nation. And yet we're all called to our different positions. Sometimes we can look back and say, oh, you know, the church was so much stronger in this country in the 80s and the 90s. And we, but no, we're in 2024. And if you're if you have a pulse, that means you're alive. And that means you're here in 2024. And we're here for such a time as this. I, I, I know you don't think this, but sometimes people think, oh, that being a pastor or being a missionary is a more important job for God than another secular job. And I can easily point to when I felt a sense of call to become someone who works in the church. But just maybe God's called you to go into your sphere. And he's got things for you to do 
in such a time as this. You have your particular gifts, your particular personality, your particular contacts, your particular skill set, and God wants to say, I'm not making a mistake here. You're in this situation for a reason. We're just getting ready for Mark Dutois' funeral service and been reflecting on his life. And Mark Dutois wasn't someone who would come up the front in, in, in church, but you know his faith has had a big impact among friends and family. Helen, I hope you don't mind me saying, but we reflected and still do on the life of Alistair. And Alistair was definitely not one to come up the front in church. He wasn't one who talked a lot about his faith, but he lived it. He's a businessman. I'm going to do a lot of apologizing later. I haven't asked your permission, Helen. But you know, he lived his faith through who he was. He was true to his faith. We reflected in the, in the Thanksgiving service about how he was salt and light. And he didn't need to talk about his faith all the time. He just, he lived it. God calls us to our different positions and equips us in different ways for such a time as this. Now, time is a funny thing, isn't it? Do you ever hear people say, well, you know what? I'm cash rich, but I'm time poor. Does anyone ever feel like that? You might say, I'm not cash rich, Dan, but I am time poor. (laughs) Anyone feel like that? (laughs) You're short on time. And time is at a premium. If you live in this part of the UK and you're a young person, for example, and you've got a family, my goodness. It's not like one of you can stay at home particularly. Probably both working. If not full-time, then working a lot. Just to make ends meet. Time is at a premium. People are busy. We have a sickness, and it's called hurry sickness. Always in a rush, right? Oh, well, you know, I've got to get to the next thing. I've heard it said, uh, some people you know, come into the UK and say, well, you know, you've got the watches, but where I come from, we have the time. <laughs> time is a funny thing, and we can think that we just don't have time, but we all, guess what? have 24 hours a day. All of us. And it's just what we do with it. We all make choices. Godwin reminded us earlier, we all make choices in life. We're always constantly making a choice. What do I do with my time? Do I while it away? Do I waste a day? Do I waste a a year? What do I do with my time? And whose time is it anyway? Mordecai spoke via the messenger to Esther to to, to open up her eyes to the bigger picture. Could it be that it's not just a random fluke that you were anonymous and now you're the queen because you won a beauty contest? Could it be that that there's something bigger going on here? And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just see what's in front of me and I just look at my to-do list and this is what I've got to do today. But God's calling me in to say, just look at the bigger picture for a minute. And we need others to send us a message to say, there's a bigger picture going on here. There's more to life than what seems obviously to be God's agenda. Actually, he's, he's thinking big. He's thinking wider. We might say, God, I really want you to do this. And God is saying, 
actually, at this time, this is what I'm working on. We gathered together on Wednesday night for seeking his face. And at the end of it, Rob prayed for me. Apologies, I mentioned someone else as well. Rob prayed for me. And, uh, but he didn't pray for me you know, as a pastor of this church. He didn't pray for me in my ministry here. He prayed for me because I was going to go out and do a gig. Andy and Sue are going to embarrass them again. They came to the gig. And they bumped up the numbers because there was about ten people there. <laughs> we were playing jazz in a pub. And was I sharing my faith openly? No. Was I speaking about God? No. I was playing saxophone with my friend Stuart who plays guitar and we were playing a bit of background music. But Rob prayed for me as a musician. And I was encouraged by that. So I think, it matters. Because I'm being who I'm being in the world. I'm just doing what I do, the best that I can. In the world, I'm going to embarrass someone else. Colin, you're very involved with your photography club, camera club. Marit, yeah? And we know someone else in that club. And she, oh, Colin's great. (laughs) Now, I'm guessing, and he is a great photographer, by the way, but I'm guessing he's, he's also Colin in the photography club, am I right? You're still Colin. Think so. Now, is he wasting his time taking photos and being in a photography club? Shouldn't he be doing more for church, for God? Actually, he's got a passion for photography. And he is witnessing for God, even if not verbally, it's implied through who he is. I know you're not perfect before you tell me you're not. Well, you nearly, nearly perfect. What is God calling me to do with my time? It might not be to solve a national problem. But is there something God's calling me to do in the marketplace, in the world? I'm so blessed that Rob prayed for me as a musician. I'm blessed when you pray for me as a pastor. Please, don't get me wrong. I really need your prayers. But I want to pray for you. And we can be praying for each other in our, quotes, secular world, because none of it's secular. It's all God's. It all matters to God. Every choice we make, it all counts. So Esther heeds Mordecai's words. And rather than acting straight away, she fasts and prays. I'm saying prays, it's implied. She fasts for three days. Often when you fast, you don't eat, but you still drink water. No fasting, uh, sorry, no food, no water for three days. I and my attendants will do that, and can you go and tell the others to do that? And then after that, I will go into the king, even though, she says, it is against the Lord. You know, sometimes the laws of the land are against the laws of God. (laughs) And she disobeys the law of the land because she's following the will of God. But, and then she says this, if I perish, I perish. She is willing to give herself up for the sake of her people. She's willing to die in order to save her, her own people. She's 
if you like, a foreshadow of our Savior. She realizes that sometimes, in order to fulfill what God's calling us to do, we have to give our life away. We have to die to our own agenda and our own self. We say, Lord, in order to be more useful to you, I need to let everything go. I was quite enjoying being queen. It was quite cool. I was enjoying all the food. But if I die, I die. I've got to be prepared to let it all go. And so, again, I'm going to read into this text, assuming, because after that she comes up with this great plan, you see, and I think God inspired her with wisdom and strategy in that time. Do you need wisdom? Do you need strategy for a situation you're facing? Take time to seek God, to fast, to pray. And again, God cares about things that are very practical. You might say it's not very spiritual, but God cares about it. And so she gets wisdom, and we're not going to finish the whole story of Esther, but she goes into the, the king, and he's pleased to see her, so she has favor with the king. She calls him to a banquet. I'll bring Haman as well, so they have this banquet. And he says, I'll tell you tomorrow, so they have another banquet. I'll, I'll tell you what my request is. And he's like, oh, I love you, Esther. Please tell me, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. I'm so excited. What do you want? And then <clears throat> uh, she says, well, actually, I'm, I have mercy on my people. Who's plotting against your people? She says, that man there. <laughs> and the tables are turned And I encourage you to read the rest of the story. It's a great story. It gets a bit gruesome at the end, but it is a great story. God is with us. Even when it's not obvious, it might be implied. So I'm going to pray. Lord, would you open up our eyes to see that even when you're not being acknowledged, Lord, you are there. Even then, we, we think it doesn't matter. Lord, help us to make the right choices, to trust you in our everyday life. Lord, help us in our use of time. It is your time, and we say my times are in your hands. Lead us and guide us, both individually and as a congregation. We give ourselves to you, Lord. I want to be like Esther, who said, if I perish, I perish. We want to be like Jesus, who said, may your will be done. Lord, give us the courage we need to step up when we're called to step up. Give us the boldness that we need. Lord, we trust you. And I thank you for this time. I thank you for our lives here in the UK in 2024. Help us to live them for you. Give you all the praise. We acknowledge you, Father. Now pray for my brothers and sisters here. Whatever situations we may all face, help us to have heaven's wisdom, to have strategy from you.
Help us to do over and above what we can't, what we could do. Because with you, all things are possible. Lord, help us to see our roles in life, our positions, as you see them. Lord, we thank you that this earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Thank you that our lives are not meaningless, but they are in your hands. So we choose in this moment and in this time to give ourselves afresh to you. That you might speak, that you might fill our hearts with your love and your joy and your compassion. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.